today will come from Luke 12, verses 1 through 12. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trembling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemies against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Thank you, Rory. All right, we are back into the meat of the text of the book of Luke. So if you've got your Bibles, Rory just read for us what we're going to be. Uh, it's going to be in Luke chapter uh, 12, verses 1 through 12. Um, and as, as you're turning there and thinking about that, um, I couldn't help but think about uh, King Saul. So we just finished this lengthy series through the summer about David, and we said we couldn't start with David until we talked about Saul, and we couldn't talk about Saul until we talked about what led to him becoming king. But I was thinking about this idea of hypocrisy, and that's one of the central themes that we see in this passage is that Jesus is instructing his followers how to avoid the traps, the pitfalls of hypocrisy. And I started thinking about King Saul and some of the things that King Saul did. And the second big mistake that King Saul made that cost him his kingdom came from 1 Samuel chapter 15, where Saul did not obey the commands of the Lord to destroy the Amalekites. And so he, uh, he had the opportunity to, he was called to go and defeat them, to, to take them in battle, and he was given a great victory. And after he won, he spared the king and kept the best of the livestock for himself uh, and for a sacrifice. <laughs> so Samuel comes, he's like, what have you done? Why have you not destroyed all these things like I called you to? And he calls him out for his hypocrisy. And he says to Saul that to obey the Lord is better than to sacrifice. To obey the Lord is better than to sacrifice. Now, as we went through the story of David and Saul, one of the things I loved about David is that when David uh, was confronted with the reality of his sin, he was one who would repent and then worship. And I think what we see with Saul a lot of the time was Saul would kind of just fake it. Saul would just kind of pretend to worship. So David's, David would sin, be confronted with his sin, and he'd repent and worship. Saul would just kind of do what was convenient at the time. We talked a lot about how Saul had a vision problem, that Saul cared more about what he looked like in the eyes of the people. Now, this is kind of a, a theme that is even continued into the New Testament that we see with the Pharisees. The Pharisees are one that seemed to have a vision problem, that cared way too much about the way they looked in the eyes of the people, or perhaps not just the ways they looked in the eyes of the people, but to their peers, about maybe maintaining this position that they had in the community, or maybe the power that they had achieved in the community. So what I think we need to see as we move into today's passage is this. Our, our, our outward actions do not fool God. Our outward actions do not fool God. He has called us to consistency. Now, if we think about hypocrisy, hypocrisy is the exact opposite of consistency. There is a, an imbalance between what we say and what we do. There is a difference between our heart and our behavior. God has called us to consistency. We love him 
right? That's the idea. We love him, and out of that love for him comes righteous deeds and acts of worship. So why do we do good things? Because we love the Lord. Why do we worship? Because we love the Lord. He is one who judges the heart. So he can see past the outside of what we do and look into our heart. We're told in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, that out of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's not the other way around. Our deeds and acts of worship don't make us citizens of the kingdom of heaven. It is a heart of faith, a heart that loves God. It is a heart of repentance, and it is the grace and mercy of God that makes us citizens of the kingdom. And it is from that heart of love and faith that we can worship, and from that heart of faith and love that we can do anything for God. When we perform religious actions in order to to look good or to look like someone special or uh, maybe someone holy or to gain some kind of reputation with other people, then our actions aren't worship at all. Okay? In those cases, our actions are hypocritical. Actions with those kinds of motives are self-serving. Our motivation is all about appeasing people on the outside and maintaining some kind of facade. When we act like this, we aren't valuing a relationship with God. Our activity may look good to our fellow humans, okay, but it's not about worship, it's about reputation. And that's a problem. It's about projecting an image that maybe we feel gives us power, or we feel provides some kind of earthly security. So last week, as we did our big wrap-up of the book of Luke so far through chapter 7, we recapped those, those chapters, and we saw how Jesus began to challenge the religious leaders of his day. Jesus was at odds with the Pharisees because he wanted to hold them accountable for their hypocrisy. All right, so if, if I could boil Jesus' problem down with the, Pharisee, if the Pharisees of, of his day, it would be, it would be that. Okay, the Pharisees were more interested in human reputation than they were in true worship. So as as Jesus is challenging the hypocrisy of his day among the religious leaders of his day, uh, the Pharisees were more interested in their human reputation than they were with true worship. So as we move into our passage today, we're going to see that Jesus turns his attention. So in chapter 11... We see his attention is on the Pharisees. As we move into chapter 12, we see that it's from the Pharisees, and now his attention is on his followers. So his rebuke that he's going to give in the passage that Rory read for us is directly against the trap that the Pharisees had fallen into. The Pharisees had fallen into a trap of hypocrisy. And now Jesus is talking to his followers in order to help them avoid that kind of hypocrisy, okay? Pharisees walking forward in hypocrisy, Jesus turns to his followers and he says, now I don't want you to make the same mistakes. So today what we're going to see is Jesus' three tips for avoiding the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, three tips. I talked to Elise about this word, tips. Tips isn't the best word. I just couldn't think of a better one. It sounds way too passive. All right? It's not like, hey, do this, and life is good. Like, these are, but principle didn't seem like the right thing either, because it's like, hey, I'm calling you to do this. So tips is a little bit of a weak word, but I want you to see this. This is three tips, three tips uh, that Jesus gives us as his followers to avoid the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And the first is this. Remember that you can't hide the truth forever. So hypocrisy is all about lies. It's about concealing the truth. So the first tip is remember you can't hide the truth forever. Second, remember whose approval we need the most. Remember whose approval we need the most. And third, remember that Jesus will speak the truth. He will speak the truth. No matter what lie you've told yourself, no matter what kind of lie you're trying to present to other people, what's Jesus going to do? He is going to present the truth. You can't hide the truth forever whose approval matters, and Jesus is going to speak the truth no matter what lie we tell ourselves and others. Let's look again at uh, verses 1 through 3 of our passage today, and we'll jump into the text. It says, 
In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, goodness gracious, that's a lot of people, he began to say to his disciples first. Now, this is important. When you guys are doing your own personal Bible study, it's important to see who's talking to whom. That helps us understand what's going on. Jesus is going to talk to his disciples differently than he talks to the Pharisees. So who's he talking to? It says right here, it tells us, he began to say to his disciples first, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And whatever you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Okay, so again, this is set toward his followers. Now, Jesus starts out by calling the actions of the Pharisees two things. He calls them leaven, and he calls them hypocrisy. So let's talk about hypocrisy first, then we'll go back to leaven. So in short, hypocrisy is when our actions and our words do not match. It's when there is a disconnect between what we do on the outside and what's going on in our hearts. So the Pharisees hid their sin behind supposed righteous deeds. But like we've already discussed, their motivation was all wrong. So in essence, Jesus could have said the same thing to the Pharisees that Samuel said to Saul, which is, to obey is better than sacrifice. All these outside actions don't match up with a heart of obedience. You may be thinking you're doing the right things, but your heart is far from the Lord. So Jesus very plainly identifies that he does not want his followers to be hypocrites. Now, that's why he calls, and this is the second part here, that's why he calls the action of the Pharisees leaven. So what's leaven? Leaven is yeast. So how does yeast work? You just put a little bit in the dough, and what happens? The whole dough will rise. It spreads. He's saying this, that the Pharisees have a hypocritical spirit, and they're the leaders of the community. We don't want to follow their example. You have to beware of the leaven of the, of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. They're pretending their example, their example of coming out and saying, hey, it doesn't matter what your heart's like, just do these things and you'll be righteous. Jesus is saying, that's all wrong. Don't follow their example. What matters is on the heart. Where is your heart? Where is your focus? He's calling them out. He's saying, you can't be like this. They think their actions, the Pharisees, they think their actions please God. But their actions are actually about preserving an earthly reputation, about establishing earthly power, and keeping earthly security. Their actions aren't righteous at all. They're walking forward in this disconnect between what they hope to convey and what they actually believe in their heart, which is a spirit of selfishness and self-preservation. They may outwardly claim to serve God, but inwardly their hearts only serve themselves. So this is where we see Jesus' first tip to avoiding hypocrisy, and that's this. We have to remember that we can't hide the truth forever. The truth will win. The truth will come out. So Jesus both warns and encourages his followers by pointing out that our true motivations will be revealed. You can't hide from it. Your motivations are going to be exposed. The Pharisees' motivations are going to be exposed, but so are ours as followers of Jesus. Look at the language that's used. We, we, can't, we can't hide who we really are forever. We can't hide our earthly, self-serving interests Forever. Look at, look at this passage, okay? Uh, I, I, on the screen here, I had it pulled out where we see the language of concealment and we see this language of uh, exposure. So Jesus speaks of concealment several times. This is our attempt to hide our hearts and our bad motives. What words do we see? We see covered up. We see hidden, said in the dark, whispered in private. Do you see that language? 
that's very much hide, hide, hide. What is hypocrisy about? Hypocrisy is about hiding our true motives. So we see hide, 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 hide. Now what does Jesus do? He reminds them that the truth is going to come out. So no matter how good you think you are at hiding, what's going to happen? It's going to come out. Listen to the language here. Revealed, will be known, heard in the light, proclaimed from the housetops. What you say, whisper in private, will be proclaimed from the housetops. Like, I mean, people are going to know. People are going to know. If it's not on this side of eternity, they're going to know on the other side of eternity. You can't hide it forever. That's what Jesus is telling us. He is warning us of the limitations of this kind of outward deception. Our hypocrisy simply won't last. We can, we can pretend to hide all we want, but the truth's going to come out. Like I said a second ago, if not this side of eternity, the next. The bottom line is that we might pretend in a way that's good enough to fool the people around us. I'm sure we've got some good pretenders in here, right? Our pretending might be good enough to fool the people around us. But you know who you can't fool? You can't fool Jesus. He knows. He can see our hearts. He will reveal the truth behind our actions. What's going on in our hearts as we do the things we do? Hypocrisy is all about self-preservation, self-protection. We pretend to be righteous because we want the approval of others. Whew. I know Clark, for like a year, taught on the dangers of being a people pleaser. Right? So if you've got kids in a youth group, I'm sure your kids came home and talked about some of that. Like, that's, that's a big struggle. Hypocrisy is all about our righteous deed, deeds being about receiving the approval from others. We pretend to be righteous because we get respect, or maybe we even have some kind of influence in the lives of others around us because of this outward persona we put on. The difference between hypocritical righteousness and genuine righteousness is all in our motivation. That's important. Sometimes the actions are the same. I mean, if you're a really good hypocrite, you know exactly what to do. And you can look really good doing it. But the difference between a hypocrite and, and somebody who's genuine is all in your motivation. Who are you trying to please? Are you trying to please God? Or are you trying to please others? Are you concerned with the Lord's reputation and Jesus' reputation? Or are you concerned with your own reputation? Are you looking to garner some kind of power or security? Or do you not care about those things because your eyes are firmly set on the kingdom and you simply want to worship God with your actions to obey is better than to sacrifice. That's what we want. That's what he's called us to, is actions born out of love and worship for the Lord. Because his is the approval that we should truly seek. And that brings us to the second tip for avoiding hypocrisy. Remember whose approval you need the most. Let's look at our passage. Remember whose approval you need the most. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who can kill the body. Now, I just want to put a little period here, a little, little finger here. Like, I'm talking about this in a positive sense. Like, whose approval do you need the most? Jesus casts this in a very negative way, right? Like, I'm talking about, hey, this is a good thing. And Jesus is like, remember who can kill you? You know, like, so where, where, where? This is serious business. All right, so let's look at this again. He says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. Meaning sometimes our hypocritical actions are all about, like, not just reputation, but like survival. Okay? I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who can kill the body, and after that, have nothing more they can do to you. But I will warn you of whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are numbered. 
Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. Now, the setting here is the leaven of the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. So part of the motivation of the hypocrisy of the Pharisees is this protection of their power. And guys, let's be honest, okay? It's just good business to get along with the people in power, right? I mean, if you get along with people in power, you avoid a lot of trouble, I mean, right? Okay, so Jesus doesn't want his followers to get caught up in the leaven of the Pharisees for, because of fear that they may have of the power of the Pharisees over them. Okay? We all know this. It's just common sense. It's good business to get along with those in power. But we've got to avoid the leaven of the Pharisees, the sin of those in authority. Jesus is pointing out that so much of this hypocrisy is about pretending because they fear people. It's all about fear of people. Whose approval do they want? The approval of people. Who do they fear? People. Now, on the one hand, the Pharisees fear losing their reputation, and they fear upsetting the power structure of the culture of their day that puts them in a, a place of importance. But on the other hand, since the Pharisees are the ones with power here on earth, they can make life miserable for those they disagree with. So you want to get along with these guys. They can make your life miserable. Now, we've already seen this twice in the book of Luke, though. Okay, so what's the, what, is, what does he say in verse 4? I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who will kill the body. But Jesus has already, in the book of Luke, said he was going to die. He said it twice. He even said he was going to die at the hands of the religious leaders. Look here at Luke chapter 9, verse 22. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, then on the third day raised. Now, Jesus says he's in the crosshairs of the religious leaders. If anybody had a reason to fear those who can kill the body, it's Jesus. He says they're going to kill me. Like, he said it twice already. He knows they're coming for him. And yet, Jesus says we should not fear those who can kill the body. Over the last, uh, and the last verse of, of chapter 11 says that they were continuing, like the immediate context here, the last verse of chapter 11 says that they were continuing to look for an opportunity to catch Jesus and some, something he might say so they could trap him. Like literally, just a couple verses ahead, they're gunning for him. They're gunning for him. So Jesus is setting an example for us because he understands the bigger eternal plan, he doesn't need to fear those who can kill the body. Just think about his whole ministry, right? Like from chapter 11 on, in the book, there's 24 chapters. They're trying to kill him, or they're actively killing him, or he's been killed. So like, that's the direction things are going. And, and I think sometimes we just get wrapped up in like, oh, you know, it says don't fear those who can kill the body. They did. They did. Okay, I'm hoping you get that, right? They did kill the body. So, So Jesus told us he was going to die, and as his followers, he's saying, listen, I, I don't need to fear this, and neither do you. Now, I want you to, to keep in mind, as we're in chapter 12, what he already said to his disciples in chapter 9. So right there in verse 22, he says, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day raised. But then it goes on to this in verse 23. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits, his, forfeits himself? All right, what are the Pharisees actively doing? They are gaining the world and forfeiting themselves. All right, verse 26. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. So think back. Where did we start in verse Four, who should we fear? 
the one with earthly power to destroy our physical bodies, or the one with eternal power who can cast us into hell. So I think the question we need to ask this is this. What life do we actually want to save? What life do we actually want to save? Are we making this world our physical priority? This is our priority right here, the physical world. Is, is this what, where we are? Is this where our head is? Because as citizens of the kingdom of God, we should be making our eternal life our priority. So where's your priority? Is it the kingdom of earth, which is what we see the Pharisees doing, or is it the kingdom of heaven, what we see Jesus clearly doing? Jesus says that the way to save our eternal life is to deprioritize this physical world and all its shortness and brevity. Man, that is hard to do. Oh, that's it. Just, just don't prioritize the physical world. I mean, that is so easy to say. It's a lot harder to do, right? Man, that's tough. But he's saying this is like the key to avoiding hypocrisy. We cannot, cannot prioritize our earthly world over the eternal kingdom. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 14, I didn't put it on the screen, says this. Says, says this, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. This world is passing away. It's not our home. Where are our eyes? It's not on this city. It's on the city that is to come. The NIV uses this language in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. It calls us foreigners and exiles here on earth. Foreigners and exiles. The idea that this is not our home. This is not our... What's the language of the Bible? The language of the Bible is for us, as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, to deprioritize our attachments to the physical world. Because our pursuit of these physical attachments leads us into hypocrisy. The defense of these physical attachments make us the enemy of the kingdom of God. Remember what we read last week from Romans chapter 5? I don't have time to read it today, but Romans 5 talks about how even when we were the enemies of God, even when we were weak, when we were powerless and unrighteous, what did Christ do? He died for us. The, the kingdom understands, like, hey, at one point we were against him, and he was coming against us, but, but while we were against him, he died for us. So Luke chapter 12, verses 4 through 7, presents these two strikingly contrasted states of being. Now, think back to Luke chapter 12, verses 4 through 7. If you've got your Bibles open, look at it again. It says, we can fear man and not God. That's the first state of being. We can fear man and not God, which means that we're going to have a measure of peace now, right? Because it's just good business to, uh, to, to do right by those who are in power. So, all right, if we fear man and not God, we're going to have a measure of peace now. Now, in this case, since there's no allegiance to God, we don't have to worry about loyalty to him getting in the way of our earthly progress. We can just do what we need to to get by. We have no loyalty to God, so we can compromise, we can change, we can adapt, we can do whatever helps us fit in, we can do whatever gives us a leg up, okay, because we aren't committed to God. We're committed firmly to the physical world. So whatever gain we may receive, Luke 9 lets us know that it's only temporary, though. It's not going to last. And frankly, when we fear men, the best we may receive, the best we may do is a little extension on our short window of time here on earth. That's the best that could happen. If we're prioritizing the physical world, we might just get a little extension for the here and now. So fear of man, at best, leads to a little extension here and now and maybe a little more comfort here and now. Or, or, there's the second state of being here, which is fear of God. Now, sometimes when we talk about fearing God, we talk about it in terms of respect and honor. Like, to fear God is to respect him, to honor him, to realize who he is and who we are. Uh, and so we kind of talk about the fear of God like we should have a healthy fear for electricity or fire or even a gun, okay? Um, yeah, in this context, like, fear of God is set against fear of people who can kill the body. So in this particular context, Jesus is warning us that the judgment is real and we should be afraid. 
Let's look again at, at, at chapter 12 here, verse 5. It says, but I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed. Now, I just want you to, after he has killed. So the first part says, beware of man who can kill the body. You think, oh, that's rough. Okay. This, did you guys read that? Like, who's killing people in this part? That's God. I just, I just want to make sure that's clear, all right? So, but I will warn you of whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Now, we see this word warn here. Clearly, this is not just about exhorting Jesus' followers to respect God. It, there's a whole lot more going on here than that. This is a strong warning. Jesus makes it clear that, that sure, a human can kill you, but so can God. Now, all a person can do is kill the body, but God can kill the body and also destroy the soul in hell. Then Jesus doubles down and says, yes, fear him. Brandon, you, you kind of got to chill out, right? We don't really do that hellfire and brimstone stuff here. I know. But I'm just reading what Jesus said. And we can't run away from that. We have to confront what Jesus says. He gives us that warning out of love. He gives us that warning because he's letting us know what's at stake. What's at stake? Here's the thing. Think back to Luke 9, verse 24. It says something pretty powerful. Luke 9, 24 says, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Now, did you see that? According to, to, to Luke 9, who dies? The answer is everyone. The answer is everyone. If we try to save our life because we fear man here and now, then we're going to lose our life eternally. But if we lose our life by deprioritizing the things of the physical world, if we lose our life, if we say these things don't matter to us, and you know what, I'm not going to worry about the one who can kill the body. If we lose our life now, we will save our life for eternity. So earlier I asked you, which life are we going to save? But you're going to die. Where's our priority? Whose approval are we seeking? Are we seeking the approval of men who maybe by their approval we can extend our life just a little bit or are we, and we'll lose it eternally, or are we fearing God, seeking God's approval who though maybe our life may be cut short here on earth, in Christ it extends forever. Whose approval are you really looking for? Now, again, I want to I say this. That this comes as a warning out of love. This is, he's, who's he talking to? Is he talking to the Pharisees? No. He's talking to his disciples. Now, after he gives this warning, look at what he says next. Because what he's saying is, I value you. You matter to me. Look at how he continues. Right after this harsh judgment, after this harsh warning, Jesus says this, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, you are more valuable than many sparrows. Guys, what he's saying is, don't worry. You matter more to me than, than these things that you sell for pennies. I have every hair on your head numbered. You matter to me. Well, you were my enemies. I died for you. The kingdom of heaven is advancing on a rescue mission. Now, we're not there yet. I can't wait till we get there. But in a few chapters, in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus says, says this, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. What's he come to do? 
Save us. Are you not more valuable than sparrows? He has the hairs of your head numbered. Why is he giving this warning? Don't go down the road of the Pharisees. Don't go down the road of the Pharisees. You're either for me or against me. You can't be neutral in the kingdom of heaven. Where is it? Where's your allegiance? The gates of heaven are advancing. The kingdom of heaven is advancing. And the gates are open. And we can come in. I think we have to keep this exchange, this idea here of sparrows and the hairs of our head, the value here. We have to keep this exchange of verse 6 and 7 in mind as we frame this whole passage. Jesus is telling us that as his followers, we are valuable and precious to him. So if we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, then we don't need to fear anything. Because in that citizenship, there is real, lasting security. And in that kingdom, there is all the approval you could ever need. All the approval you could ever need is found in Christ. Again, because he loves us and he has declared us his love. Not because of anything we've done to earn it, but because he gives it. That, that approval is achieved by faith and grace in what Christ has done. You don't have to be good enough to earn that approval. Who was good enough to earn that approval? Christ was. And it is Christ's approval that is credited on our behalf. Holy cow, is that not a, something to celebrate? Yes. Amen. You don't have to be good enough. Our righteous actions are not about changing our position before God. That position has been changed by the work of Christ. Now our actions get to be an act of worship and obedience. They don't contribute to our salvation. They express the love that we have received from Christ back to him. That's why we obey. That's why we worship. That's what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Now, let's wrap up and move into the third, the third tip to avoiding the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And that's this. We need to remember that Jesus will speak the truth no matter what lie we tell ourselves or others. Jesus is going to speak the truth. Let's look at verse 8 and following. It says, and I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogue and the rulers and authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. All right, now, as we look at this passage right here in verse 8 and 9, it should draw our attention back to what we read earlier in verses 2 and 3. Okay, so let's look at 2 and 3 as we think about verses 8 and 9. What do we learn in 2 and 3? It says, nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and whatever you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed in the housetops. Did you guys notice that point 1 and point 3 were remarkably similar? That's because point 1 and point 3 are remarkably similar. Okay? So verses 2 and 3 here talk about the coming, uh, the truth coming out, right? The truth is going to come out. It's going to be exposed. The hypocrisy of the Pharisees are going to be exposed. We see the same kind of thing happening in verses 8 and 9. All right? Verses 8 and 9 are all about the truth of the heart being exposed. As citizens of the kingdom of God, we will proclaim our allegiance to Jesus publicly here on earth. That's what we're supposed to do. As followers of Jesus, as citizens of the kingdom of God, who's our king? Not a trick question. Jesus. Okay, Jesus. We can respond to the pastor. It is allowed. Right. All right, so Jesus, right? Jesus is our king. We can publicly, we should publicly express our allegiance to Jesus as citizens of the kingdom uh, uh, here on, as citizens of the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Now, if we do this, what could happen? It could cost us. We could even die. 
But since this is what we believe, we will hold that line and we will profess that truth. And if we acknowledge Jesus on earth, then he will publicly acknowledge us before God and the angels in heaven. Man, where's our priority? Is it here? Or is it in eternity? Professing faith in Jesus Christ may cost us here. But if we will acknowledge him before men, he will acknowledge us before the Father. Now here comes the harsh part, though. These Pharisees were denying Jesus in public. This is where their heart was, right here on earth. They were enemies of Jesus publicly. Their allegiance was to the kingdom of earth and the power and influence they had here on earth. Now, these people think they're citizens of the kingdom of heaven, but they had denied the king. They had renounced and reviled Jesus. And so, Jesus says he will deny them before the host of heaven. This is another exclusive truth claim of Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. If you deny him on earth, he will deny you in heaven. That is a tough reality. Our earthly hypocritical actions will not trick Jesus. He will tell the truth of our hearts in heaven. But then we have this verse 10. Like Verse 10 just complicates everything in what should be a very straightforward passage. So let's reread verse 10 and see if we can understand what's going on here, and then we'll, we'll move toward the closing. It says, And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Now, I'm going to stick close to my notes here because I don't want to misspeak. Okay? So at first, I think this looks like a contradiction because the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all the same. Amen? So this looks like a contradiction. But, but I think what we see here is Jesus pointing out maybe a bit of an olive branch to the Pharisees. Now, let, let me explain. Okay, Remember, before faith in Jesus Christ, we are all his enemies, right? Now, okay, I just want to set the tone here. People often disagree on the interpretation of this passage. This is a little bit of a tricky one. And honestly, even though I think I have arrived at, at what the truth of this text means, I reserve the right to change my mind. Okay? Okay. But I've studied it a lot recently. I've talked with Jim and I've talked with others. And, and here's what I truly think Jesus is saying. So if you will, this is what I think Jesus is saying. I think he's saying, guys, these Pharisees and others have said some pretty harsh and nasty things about me. But you know what? I'll forgive them. They have said some mean and terrible and nasty things about me, but I will forgive them. That's easy. Then comes the next part. What about this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? I think that Jesus is carrying the, the same idea to its logical end. It's like he says, but there's a limit to my forgiveness. You cannot blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Now, this is how I interpret that. It's as if Jesus is saying, you can talk bad about me for a while here and now on earth, but you cannot persist in that. You cannot keep denying who I am. The Holy Spirit has testified to all the earth who I am. If you don't eventually agree with the Holy Spirit and his testimony about me, that cannot be forgiven. So what I'm saying is, for me, what, what I understand the unforgivable sin to be, it is the persistent and continual disbelief in Jesus as the Messiah and the Son of God. That's the testimony of the Holy Spirit. The testimony of the Holy Spirit is that Jesus is the Son of God. And so a perpetual, a perpetual denial of Jesus into our death is the thing that can't be forgiven. Now let me just give a, a quick case study here. Paul was a Pharisee. 
Paul denied Jesus. Paul persecuted the church for denying Jesus. Paul was forgiven. If he had persisted in that disbelief, if he had persisted in that disbelief until death, would he have been forgiven? No. So that is my understanding of what I think is going on here is that this is a perpetual disbelief in Jesus into death. So on the last day, Jesus will testify before all heaven whether or not we are his. If we acknowledge him on earth, he will acknowledge us in heaven. But if we don't unite ourselves with him here and now, he will not unite himself with us for eternity. So who should we fear? Should we fear people who can destroy the body here on earth, or should we fear the one who will judge us for eternity? And I think the answer here is pretty clear. What good does it do to gain the whole world and yet forfeit your soul? We should place our faith in Jesus Christ and proclaim him as our king. But this may very well set you at odds with the authorities of the world around you. People who can hurt you. People who, from, I mean, honestly, we kind of can fear a little bit because they can hurt you. And nobody, nobody wants that. Okay, so even though we may have the security of our citizenship in the kingdom of heaven, that doesn't mean that they cannot apply these negative forces to our lives, even to the point of death. So if we find ourselves at odds with human authority, we can remember the last two verses of our passage today, and that's this. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Now, what was our last tip to avoiding hypocrisy? We need to remember that Jesus will speak the truth no matter what. What's he say right here? If we find ourselves at odds with the authorities, what's the Holy Spirit going to do? Speak the truth. He's going to give us the words to say. He's going to help us. He's going to empower us in those moments to speak the truth. Jesus will speak the truth through his Holy Spirit through us, so we don't need to be afraid. Remember, Luke also wrote the book of Acts, right? That's, that's Luke, chap, Luke volume 2 is the book of Acts. And the book of Acts shows us how in a few places the Holy Spirit does indeed give the words to say. Now, time won't let us look at all these examples, but think about the day of Pentecost when Peter stood with the Holy Spirit and he knew exactly what to say. Think about the day when Peter and John were arrested in the temple. They knew exactly what to say. That came from the Spirit. Think about Stephen when he was martyred and stoned. He knew what to say. Think about several times throughout the ministry of Paul when he was, uh, found himself um, in conflict with the authorities. The Spirit gave him the words to say. Man, Jesus does not want us to get caught in the trap of hypocrisy. And if we find ourselves at odds with the authority around us because he's delivering us from that hypocrisy, he wants us to know we will not be alone. His Holy Spirit will be with us. Who was Jesus talking to in this whole section? He was talking to his followers. He was giving this message to give them hope. He was giving them this message to help them avoid the pitfalls of the examples they had in their religious community. He was saying, look to me. Look to me. I, I, don't have, I don't have my attachment set on this physical world. I'm, I'm the king of the coming kingdom. I'm the king of the coming kingdom. And so I'm willing to die. They're coming for me. I'm willing to die. Follow my example. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. He wants us to avoid the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. So remember that you can't hide from the truth forever. Remember whose approval we need the most. And remember that Jesus is going to speak the truth in the end, no matter what lie you've told yourself or others. So what's our job? How do we respond to this? What do we do? Guys, we have to, we have to be honest with ourselves. Where is our priority? What, what am I elevating too high? 
What am I trying to protect? Am I, am I stuck here now on earth? Is my earthly priority guiding my decision making? If, if that is the case, guess what we have the opportunity to do? We have an opportunity to repent. We have an opportunity to say, I don't want to live that way. I want to make my priority the kingdom of heaven. Well, I, I want to be detached from defense of the approval of others. I don't, I don't want to be seeking what other people think about me above what Christ thinks about me. And sometimes, as I pursue Christ and what he's called me to do, I might find myself at odds with my peers, with my neighbors, with those in authority. But I'm not going to fear them who maybe can bring uh, discomfort to my physical life up to the point of death. Instead, I'm going to fear God who has called me into his kingdom, has made me righteous, and has called me to obey out of worship for him and love for him. So how are you going to respond? What do you need to do? What sins do you need to lay down? What uh, physical attachments are holding you back from following him and moving forward in a true spirit of obedience? As the praise team comes, let's, let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you have warned us against the traps of, of the Pharisees who, who try to make themselves look righteous to earn the approval of men. Lord, help us not to try to earn anybody's approval. You have given it to us. And Lord, in your word, you've told us what to do. So Father, I pray that you would help us to act in obedience out of love and worship, out of a desire to please you, as a desire uh, to, for you to delight in us and us in you. Father, I pray that uh, as, as earthly attachments are strong, we would uh, remember that these things are temporary. These things are temporary, just like our life. And you have called us to something better. You have called us to something greater. And that is citizenship in your kingdom, which lasts forever. Lord, help us to trust you. Help us to walk forward in your grace and your mercy. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So I'm not sure how the Lord is, is moving in your life or in your heart, but as we sing these last two songs, we have a chance to respond. The altar is open. You can come and lay down your burdens before him. If there's somebody you need to talk to, some questions you may have, don't be afraid to ask a believer next to you during this time. I mean, you can actually take somebody out of the sanctuary and, and talk to somebody in the foyer or over in the fireside room, wherever that may be, and have a conversation. Or if you need to come and just lay your needs down before the Lord or find me or Jim or Clark or somebody, we would love to talk with you more about uh, who the Lord is. Let's, let's sing.